and let's pray, dear friends. Lord Jesus, meet us, meet us now, Lord, we pray. Give us yourself as we sit together at your word in Jesus' name. Amen. I've long read the BBC online for news. Now, it's not that I think they're never wrong. It's not that I always agree with them. It's not that they don't have a bias. It's none of those things. It's just that I learned a long time ago the value of seeing your own context from sympathetic outside eyes. We have that special relationship with the Brits. They're fascinated with us. And yet they are outside eyes and they have a more international look and all the rest. So I've read them for a long time for news. This past week, there was a piece from the BBC's North American editor. It was a farewell piece as after a good long number of years, he moves on to another assignment from what he called the journalistic assignment of a lifetime. He loved being over here with us. He talked about Thanksgiving. Now, he didn't talk about the debate about its origins and all the rest. And just for the record, I'm not saying that discussion doesn't matter. I think it does. But he was talking much more at sort of a street level, everybody's house level. And he said this. He said, across America in a few hours' time, turkeys will be going into ovens. Millions will be hurrying from regional airports to get to see loved ones. Roads will likely be jammed, and people will be preparing to gorge themselves on that most egregious crime against cooking, sweet potato casserole and marshmallow. (laughs) I mean, sweet potato casserole, yum. Side note, how many of you knew that several years ago, sweet potatoes like took over London? They became like the coolest thing which having grown up in the South and growing our own sweet potatoes, I just find that wonderful. I find that wonderfully hilarious. I just think it's delightfully fantastic. Anyway, he says, marshmallow, yeah, why not? But blended together in one dish? Ew. He actually wrote ew. It's a Brit writing ew. That said, Thanksgiving is the loveliest of occasions. It's about families and friends coming together and giving thanks. Here's the point. He says, my most vivid and painful Thanksgiving was 2017. We were across the road at our our friend Jeff's in Georgetown. A few months earlier, his wife, who was 39, had died of a very aggressive cancer. Yet round the table we went, taking it in turns to say what we gave thanks for, including his kids. Eleanor, who was then 10, and Charlie, who was 8, They spoke of the support of friends and family and how this had been of comfort to them in this unspeakably horrid year. The outside eyes of this sympathetic Brit who loved being among us got just how amazing that moment was. Called it. I have no idea if Jeff and his friends, excuse me, and his children realized it. Or if... This guy, the BBC editor for North America, realized it. But what those children did that day, in Thanksgiving of 2017, in the midst of their grief and their loss and their pain, was to speak prophetically of hope. 
They spoke of a reality which is difficult to see. They spoke of a deeper and greater reality, which is something hidden and even contrary and denied by the circumstances all around. This morning, friends, is the first Sunday of Advent. On this morning, we begin a season that is about prophetically holding on to a hope. It's about speaking even prophetically and eschatologically towards the end of all things, of what will be someday ultimately. It's about speaking of the hope that is real and that abides and that we hold on to. It's about believing, friends, that in the end, life is a comedy in the best sense of the word and not a tragedy. In the New Testament, one of the most powerful ways to speak of hope prophetically is through the act of giving thanks. Gratitude, friends, giving thanks to God in the midst of all that is messed up in life is a way of taking back the initiative and speaking the truth and staking out ground and saying, I will hold on to hope. It is not an extra. It's not something tacked on. It's core and it's essential. And in the midst of it all, it's a way of speaking the reality of God's kingdom and love into being. Giving thanks to God is an act of positive spiritual warfare. It's an act of taking ground back. So let's just peek at it for a minute. Let's just peek at Paul and giving thanks. The first thing we notice is that in all but three of Paul's letters in the New Testament, somewhere in the very beginning verses, he gives thanks. Romans, first first letter, here we go, just read that one. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. I want to say Paul is not checking a rhetorical box here. This is not the case that Paul's middle school English teacher, you know, slapped his wrist until, by golly, you are going to learn that when you write a letter to somebody, you give thanks in the first sentence. It is not what's going on here. Paul is speaking the beautiful, amazing reality that the gospel of this man who hung on a cross and was utterly despised and completely bizarre and the strangest thing people have ever heard is nonetheless being believed on in Rome and Corinth and Ephesus and Philippi and Colossae and Thessaloniki. And it's causing Philemon, excuse me, you know who he is, is causing him to go, oh my word, I shouldn't have a slave after all. It's making incredible ripples in the world. And Paul is saying, I give thanks for you because you're believing this story and incredible ripples are happening all over the world that are changing the world and making hope for people. Paul does this so routinely in the beginning of his letters that the three instances when he doesn't do it become really interesting just because why on earth isn't he doing it? In Galatians, he begins not with giving thanks, but with I'm completely exasperated with you guys. 
And that's the point. Paul has to be completely exasperated to not note that he gives thanks for them. Prophetic words of hope. Paul says that because giving thanks marks the movement of God and the gospel into the world and the arrival of the kingdom of God in the world, he says it makes common space. So in Romans and in Corinthians, where people are arguing about whether or not you can eat food sacrificed to idols or whether to keep special days or not, Paul says, in essence, look, they don't do it, but yet they're gathering and they're giving thanks to God. You do do it, yet you're gathering and you give thanks to God. Giving your thanks to God is your common space. He finds fine common space in that. If you will, the opposite is also true in a way. Those who cannot bring themselves to give thanks to God, then they inevitably... And inherently, not because God is mad at them, so to speak, personally, but it's inevitably and inherently, they will suffer the symptoms of the horizon shutting upon them. Because since they're not giving thanks to God, the horizon is shutting upon them. It's where they're living. Beginning of Romans chapter 1, that, that incredible space where Paul is not speaking contextually. Right? Romans chapter 1, Paul makes it clear that he's not speaking only to the circumstances of the church in Rome, but about all of humanity all the time. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. He's speaking with the biggest lens you can get. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or what? Give thanks to him. They became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. The horizon shut down on them. Giving thanks in the New Testament is not an extra thing. It's a basic thing. It's a core thing. It's a powerful thing. It's a normal, regular, do it and let your soul live thing. Paul, therefore, says in at least three places, just on a quick look. Ephesians 5, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another, live in peace, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. It keeps you in reality. It keeps you oriented to what is true and real. Excuse me, Colossians chapter 3. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Incredible freedom in those verses. Whatever your vocation is, whatever you're called to, however you spend your time, whatever you set your mind to, whatever your heart and your creativity lead you to, whether your circumstances are hard or whether they're easy, whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him, and purpose then is infused to whatever it is that takes your days and how you live them. And Paul, excuse me, this is the one thing 
that Paul flat out says is God's will for us. 1 Thessalonians, wrapping up towards the end. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Those kind of wrap up. There's the three big imperatives. Rejoice always. That's there with it. Pray without ceasing. That's there with it. And then give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I can remember as a college student in this moment when I was particularly depressed and this, this, this wonderful InterVarsity staff worker was hanging out with me and chatting with me and I was spilling out how depressed I was. And I was wondering what on earth my life would amount to and what the will of God was for me. And the, this uh, faithful servant of the Lord pointed out this verse to me. I was like, oh, come on. You got something more exciting than that, right? You got something more specific, a little more, you know, ex, you know more, more going somewhere, you know, engaging. I want to know, like, what cool thing am I going to be doing later in life? I couldn't have imagined I could possibly end up doing something as cool as preaching to you guys. It's amazing. I get to do this. It's incredible. But seriously, that was serious too. But I mean, seriously, that it's, it's this sense of, oh, come on. But no, this is the will of God for you, and it changes everything from the inside out. This is the one place where Paul says explicitly, this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Because Paul knows that giving thanks to God is not for the weak. It is not a sign of rolling over and giving up and saying, have pity on me. Giving thanks to God is not dualistic and removed. It is not a sign that we're waiting for pie in the sky and we don't care about justice. That is not what giving thanks to God is. Giving thanks to God is rather a courageous way of taking back the initiative and saying, by golly, this is God's world. That's who this world belongs to. And I matter because God loves me and God has sacrificed his own life for me. God sets the terms of what is real and what story will continue And grieving may come today, but joy comes in the morning. And giving thanks to God, friends, is a space that no one can take away from you. Giving thanks to God in Jesus Christ is a way of proclaiming truth, apocalyptically revealing what is real, prophetically speaking what is real that people don't want to or can't see, eschatologically naming what will be and where the story goes. So here's a rule for soul health. When life falls apart, stop. Give thanks to God for what is still true, whatever that is, back up. (laughs) Back up from, ooh, this is bad, to whatever remains that's still true. Give thanks to God for it. Ask Jesus for one step forward. Go forward in that one step with expectation that God is in it. This is is the best rule I have for spiritual warfare. I'm so happy when I remember to practice it. Right? I'm serious. In ways big and small. Some of the worst moments in my life, I can remember 
sitting down with the Lord and just saying, thank you, Lord, that at least I'm still alive. Not that they were that dramatic, but I mean, you know, grief. Thank you, Lord, that I, that I have love, that I have you in my life. Thank you for whatever I can thank you for. This morning, we move into Advent. Crazy, ridiculous, first world problem, but still kind of, you know, real crazy spiritual warfare. Flat tire on my car, annoying as everything because I already had it fixed on Friday and it was a new tire anyway, but it wasn't fixed apparently. I have to get it fixed again in a hurry because we need the car for something else. And then Cheryl shows up. She's like, "Uh, my car says it has a flat tire. I'm like, so it's flat tires today. So I'm driving down to Hamilton to the little shop as everybody else is setting up to get my tire, some air in it. And I'm remembering, give thanks. Okay, so back up, give thanks. Okay, thank you, Lord, that I have this time with you. I have this lovely time with you where I don't have to scurry around and set things up. I can just pray and get ready. Well, then the phone rings, of course. Cheryl, appropriately, and my tire's flat. Okay, so driving down with Cheryl's car. Thank you, Lord, that I have this time with you. <laughs> and it is one rolls on top of the other. But you back up, things big or small. You back up, you give thanks for what is still true and where the Lord is, the horizon changes and you reset, and you live advantageously. You live advantageously. Advent is a season for expecting God to show up. We prepare ourselves spiritually to celebrate his birth and humility and the nativity and the manger. We also, in Advent, look to his second coming. Now, if you, like me, grew up in the American South, There is almost nothing that when you move to the secular New England Northeast and speak with a Southern accent, there's almost nothing you would rather not talk to people about than the second coming of Jesus. Right? In the South, you'll see bumper stickers from people who are so frustrated with this, they'll say, anybody ever seen this one? Jesus is coming, look busy. Seen that one? Yeah, nobody? You got to go south to see him. But that's not what he said, is it? It's not what he said. What did he say? He said, all these things are going to happen. They're happening. They've been happening. They happen throughout history. We are in the last days. Do you know when the last days began? The day after Pentecost. The day after the initial day of Pentecost, the last days began. So yes, we're in the last days. Yes, we are. How long will the last days last? We're told not to worry about it. Just live. Jesus says all these things are going to happen. They happen. They've been happening. They happen again. They're happening now. And then he says what? He says, straighten up. He's talking to people who are burdened, for whom life has been hard, who have been beaten down. He says, straighten up. Raise your heads. Because your redemption is drawing near. In other words, friends, Jesus returning is not ridiculous. It's the promise of a lover, isn't it? It is the no matter what, I will be with you, I will care for you, and I will come back for you. That's what it is. Is he trustworthy? That's not a rhetorical question. Is he trustworthy? Therefore, he will come back. It's not ridiculous. It is hope. 
Did he surprise people in his first coming? Did he look like everything they thought he would be? No, he kept his freedom to surprise them. He'll surprise us in his second too. So all the bad art you've ever seen, all the bad so-called art you've ever seen about the topic, just clean it out of there. Give him some room to surprise. But trust that it will happen. And it is so, so good. It is such good news. Friends, join me in this season of Advent, a focused season of expectation Allowing God his freedom, but expecting him to show up. And let's give thanks today for what God has done in coming among us in great humility. Let's pray. I invite you now in this moment just to, just to be with the Lord and say thank you to him for, for something. Whatever it is in your heart for which you want to give him thanks. We thank you, Jesus, for who you are and all you have done. 